Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 128 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. It's Andrew. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. It's Andrew. Er- I mean, Dylan. It's Dylan. <laughs> you, one of these days, you'll see the error of your ways. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Also, Bailey, you got me on my toes. I was literally like, "Do I? am I going to say hey or am I going to wait? Am I going to say hey or am I going to wait? I mean, it's not as much pressure as Dylan has to one-up Andrew, but it's as much pressure as I can handle. Well, I think you should always be on your toes, Toby. You should always be prepared for someone to jump around the corner and say, bah! Ah. Ah. Okay. Um, Check, uh, recording canceled. I, I have to take the rest of the day off. Uh-oh. Um, Andrew and I are recording in the same room. I'm staring at him right now. Whoa. He's glaring at me. It's very intense. <laughs> oh, well. I'm trying to bring more intensity to the podcast because, you know, drama. Gravitas. <laughs> we're home for Thanksgiving and we're in the same room and that's really fun. And we've been doing something weird with our reading. Andrew, do you want to explain our weird system? Yes, I do want to explain our weird system. So uh, unsurprisingly, we're both back for sort of a long period for uh, Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and even longer for, for Bailey. So we brought a huge stack of books. Normally more than we probably get through in that time. However, mm-hmm. as a way of encouraging reading between the two of us, we each put our stacks basically in the order we intend to read them on a table in the living room. And now there's a special third stack, which is once you finish the book, it goes there. So we have these two stacks of shame and this glorious glory tower, tower that's slowly like, yeah, yeah, a glory tower slowly forming to the right. It's very satisfying, if I may say so I think, myself. Uh, so basically we're really cool. And like Andrew and I have been realizing, I think through this vacation, like how we do weird things and they seem normal to us, but to other people, they might be like, you guys weird. Speak for yourself, Bailey. Everything I do is the platonic ideal. <laughs> <laughs> is this a is this a competition because the two stacks of shame are next to each other? Because if it is, I feel frightened for you, Andrew. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's not quite that. It's um it's both sort of set up for motivation to get us to our Goodreads goals, mm-hmm. which we'll, maybe we'll talk about that in a second. Maybe this is a good transition to. Yeah. Um, but we're both doing great. All of a sudden pulled it out of the fire um and it's a way of sort of encouraging forward momentum on that we've been on track we want to stay on track yeah dylan so we gotta keep it going can you tell if andrew is speaking in morse code you know like that famous thing where the soldier (laughs) is like he's in blind denial right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have stockholm syndrome but the stockholm is a library but we've been making progress um i read a bonus book off the to read list it's called just like home by sarah gailey it's a haunted house story with a serial killer. Um, A girl is called home by her mom to the house where she grew up in, where her father was arrested for being a serial killer. And creepy stuff starts happening. Um, So that was pretty good. Um, uh, And then I also finished The Shame I Got last time, which is called Small Game by Blair Braverman. That was excellent. Mm. That was five stars. I read that in like a day. It was essentially uh, like a survival show, like Naked and Afraid. But what if suddenly the crew disappeared and you actually had to survive? Basically the plot of the Blair Witch Project. <laughs> yeah, exactly the same. <laughs> so anyway, um, we've been, I am now on track for my Goodreads. Good job, me. I will take wow. claps and applause. Uh, not mean, good for recording. You get no credit. Yeah, you did um, ask for those last episode and you didn't get them. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know but Andrew, expect. Andrew, share about your, your progress. So I went in nine books behind uh, last week, as was my sad realization. Say that more clearly, nine books. 
I said that very clearly, and, <laughs> and the microphone will have picked it up. It was nine books behind. Uh, I'm currently two books behind. Yeah. Wow. However, I have yeah, about... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have about um, 30 to 40 pages, I can't remember exactly, left of women talking. So I should only be one behind probably mm. by the end of the day. Nice. So please clap, Jeb Bush. Um <laughs> Anyone want to know what I read to get get back to me? Yes, please. Well, I did read two books for the podcast, which helps. A Beast of the Nation and The Wonder, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But I also read Olga Dies Dreaming by Xochitl Gonzalez. I also read House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. I also read The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Such a fun age, Kylie Reed. I'm glad my mom died. Jeanette McCurney, World War Z, and Oral History of the Zombie War by Max Brooks. And the aforementioned Women Talking, which will be finished shortly. Good job! Good job, So basically, Andrew. I haven't spoken to my wife in a few weeks. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, Toby, I'd love to hear of your triumphs. Then I do have a question for the group, but I don't want to take the stand away from you if you have a triumph to share, Toby. Yeah, Toby. Uh, do I have a... Did I say I have a triumph to share? Nope. But We, we just no. thought maybe you did because we've been bragging. We've been bragging. How oh, oh, so dare you? No, I, I like I've to... been talking a bunch and I am going to run the next question, so I didn't wanna... <laughs> I'm good at throwing shade. I'm not good at doing my own thing. Toby, so before we started, you- that you had some really big, impressive news for us. Um, yeah, I uh, um, uh, also read Wonder for the podcast. Eh? Hey, that's bonus. Uh-huh. I can't tell if you really w- read it or you're being weird. No, I did. Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, okay. But I'm just saying that pales in comparison to your guys's like marathon. You know, you're building like the Tower of Babel out of books out there in Maine, and you know, <laughs> I finished. Well, that one probably book. means that your life is going better than our lives. For us, it's like mm-hmm. if we've accomplished the Goodreads goal, then everything will be okay. Speak for yourself. I'm awesome in every way, and including my reading. <laughs> <laughs> um, but did anybody have any shame? I did not have any shame. Good job. No shame. Good job. Uh, no shame. Good job for me too, which is surprising. Good job, nice. everyone. This might be the first time in months that we haven't had any shame whatsoever. I know. We're building up to the holiday season where, you know, there's going to be more shame, I'm sure, incoming. Yeah. So my amazing job reading books so good, like a real good reading boy. <laughs> good job. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I got me thinking about this question that I'm about to ask because it came up when I was trying to, like, keep cycling through books really quickly. How long... Once you finish a book, do you need before you can start another book? Like, can you literally mm. finish the last page and then oh, pick up your next book and start going? Or do you need a decompression period? Bailey or Toby, take it away. Um, mm. It depends on the book for me. If it's a series, like if I'm reading Shadow and Bone, sometimes I want to keep up the momentum and start the second one right away. Because if I take a break, then I kind of will lose the momentum. Um And, you know, sometimes if I'm really on a reading kick and I'm trying to make a goal, I could wait like half an hour. But I would say typically I wait about a day um, unless it's a little life. And then I need maybe eight hours of lying on the floor to clear my head. In addition to the day. Mm -hmm. In addition to the day. Gotcha. What about you, Toby? I'm very similar to you when it comes to different books where it's like, I mean, at least a day. I often have this thing where my brain gets really, really used to a certain writing style, um, especially if the author has a very particular writing style. And whatever book I if I enjoyed the last book, whatever book I start next, I'll be all grumpy. I'll be like, what's this new writing style? And I have to kind of calm myself down for a couple chapters and then I like it. But I'll be like, you know, resistant to change. Uh, But yeah, a day. 
I like that every book you read, because you read so many books, you're like, I don't know about this. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> For someone who likes books so much, I'm, I'm pretty grumpy about books. Um, and then uh, as far as series, I'd say I'm the opposite of you, Bailey. I have learned this about myself. I cannot read series back to back ever. Um, the times that I've forced it through have made me enjoy the series less. So I will usually get my fill of whatever flavor the series is um, through one book. Then I must take a break of at least one book and then I can come back um, and continue the series because otherwise I just get it's just like having too much ice cream. Just like meh, I don't I don't like this flavor anymore. I didn't build up my anticipation enough. So I got to have a pause. I don't have that ice cream problem. I like ice cream. Yeah. What does like it do ice to your cream belly? Too. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, what about you, Dilly? Me? Um, yeah. Well, because the thing is, I usually try to read something that's like a different, really different from the last one. So I'm more excited to like start the next one. So if it's like a nonfiction book, it's like yay fiction. If it's a fiction book, like yay nonfiction. Dylan, I yeah. don't think of you as a big reader of series. Do you ever really get into series? No, I don't. I'm really bad with series. I. Oh wow. I don't think I've read a series. You don't in like have to say years. you're bad, Dylan. This is a safe space. This is a safe series space. Because in my mind, all the books are like one and done. Like, boom. Don't you want to know how the character keeps going on? Like, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you won't watch Yellow Jackets with me. Yeah. Yeah, no wonder <laughs> Dylan didn't finish the Harry Potter series. <laughs> Just... I don't watch TV series. I watched the first episode and it's like, okay, wow, I hope Walter White's okay, but all right. <laughs> well, the guy's got cancer. <laughs> uh, what yeah. about you, Andrew? Uh, for me, I definitely need a break. I think what I found in this like sprint was that I just need like a unit of something away. And whether that is literally just going for a walk where I'm not reading or like watching a movie or like a full night's sleep. But I can I can start a new book the same day as long as there is like enough of a separation that I've done another activity and it's not right to it. Gotcha. The idea of picking up another book right after I finish one freaks me out. I will say <laughs> that the one thing I do do is get do do is get very excited once I finish like as soon as I close the book, I get excited to pick the next book. And immediately I pick it, but oh, I don't yeah. necessarily start reading. I actually have that coming mm-hmm. up. I get to pick my next book from my stack. Finally, it's not trying to read for the podcast. It's going to be actually like a carte blanche. I mean, I'll have a book for the podcast, but I'll have many weeks to read Freaking it. Freaking finally, I don't have to do my stupid podcast reading. <laughs> You're telling me, Toby. <laughs> uh, Andrew, I'm so glad you've been chugging along, completing your Goodreads goal. And I know that you finished one recently that you can add to that stack. What did you finish for the podcast? Tell me about it. I finished Beasts of No Nation by Uzadinma Iwala. Um, nice. And I'd like to tell you about it now. No. Okay, Bailey yes. says no, so we're going to move on to the I, next book. No, I, I say yes. I say yes. Ooh, I'm the tiebreaker. Dylan, you're the tiebreaking vote. <laughs> I say yes. Okay, oh, he says yes. Good. Okay, so I get to do that. Fine. <laughs> All right, Bailey. I'll remember that when I step on your wonder review in <laughs> 20 minutes. <laughs> So here's a little log line to get us started. Uzudin Maiwala's uh, debut novel follows Agu, a young boy in an unnamed African country who is forced to fight as a child soldier in a conflict he can barely understand. Using propulsive language and a unique narrative style, this small book carries massively heavy themes of violence, destruction of innocence, and the possibility of redemption, creating a compelling portrait of real-life horrors. Nice. Wow. Intense. That's a log line. Yeah. That's a log line. Where's sort of. Idris Elba? Yeah, the Commandant, I assume, is the role he plays. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have not seen the film version of this. Um, Neither And I. I don't know that I will. <laughs> I have seen the film version, but not read the book. And I have very little memory of the, um, the movie, except Idris Elba's in it. And it was 
a bummer, but like an important bummer. <laughs> it was a bummer yeah, of a movie. Right. I, I will back Bailey up on that. Um, so I guess to give a little more plot context, though, there's not a whole bunch more to give you. So the uh, book follows Agu, who's one of only a few named characters, um, is swept up in a conflict in his, again, unnamed um, African country home. That's uh, The government is attacking people, and then the resistance takes the form of these bands of like child soldiers. You're never really sure the root of the conflict if we're getting information that's true about it's the government doing this thing or it's the rebel- rebels on the right side of things it basically is just sort of violent anarchy and I, and obviously mm. that's intentional because a child on the ground in this conflict wouldn't have enough context to really know what's going on on that and it follows him from literally when he is sort of recruited discovered and recruited to be a child soldier uh through to i won't say what happens at the end but through to a natural end of that process uh it's very brief it gets right to the point and basically that's the plot and yeah and so interspersed without this narrative are like um some recollections but it's not super duper um flashback heavy it's sort of like flashback in real time where he's thinking about things as the real time things are happening so it's not like this chapter takes place five months ago and i'm going to talk about it so with that sort of base layer let's go into some orcs and some elves and fight for middle earth um (laughs) so i'll start with elves and i will say that you know spoiler alert this is more elf heavy than orc heavy but i do have some orcs the first pro is it has a really unique writing style which is really cool it um i had bailey look this up because i wasn't sure exactly how to find this uh, but it uses the first person progressive tense which is like i am doing this i am seeing mm-hmm. this this is happening it makes the book flow forward and really gathers momentum quickly um because it literally is a propulsive tense like just objectively yeah it also employs a stylized voice to make the book feel like it's being narrated someone who only has a few years of formal schooling which our our protagonist does he has gone to school for maybe like a year and he described himself as being like sort of advanced in his class but like it's understandable that he doesn't like have a great style of of language or like a mastery of of how to write things down and i'll give you sort of an example and this is literally the first paragraph because it starts with this and i feel like a good way of grounding a potential reader and how the book is going to sound um but yeah this is page one um it is starting like this I am feeling itch like insect crawling on my skin. Then my head is just starting to tingle right between my eye. And then I am wanting to sneeze because my nose is itching. And then air is just blowing onto my ear and I'm hearing so many things. The clicking of insect, the sound of truck grumbling like one kind of animal, and then the sound of somebody shouting. Wow. It's kind of cool, right? It's not a it's not a tense I've seen, not a narrative style I've really experienced a lot. Like maybe some short stories I've seen it in, but not for a whole novel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really pulls you in. It, I was already like, okay, let's settle in. Here we go. Yeah, I feel like I brought this up on the podcast a fair amount, but I'm a sucker for any sort of unique language choice that feels sort of cohesive for the whole book or like changes character to character. Yeah. Love that stuff. Not someone who, spelling and grammar are not important to me in terms of it being mm-hmm. correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want it to feel like how the author wants it to sound on the page. Um, another elf I have, um, and it's sort of semi-related, is that the childlike view that we get from from Agu, our protagonist, it, like it, it's pretty striking because it is a childlike view of something that like not even adults should have any way of like dealing with. They should never have to face the like horrors that are going on here. So it's not just like a child observing adult things, which is also sometimes a fun perspective. It's literally a child's like ver- childlike version of seeing like the worst things that could happen in the world. Um, and I feel like he does a really good job with this because he balances the 
the view really well. He describes things clearly and doesn't dumb down the awfulness. Like he's not like saying, describing someone being killed and like not aware that someone is being killed or not aware that something bad is happening, but he's describing it in sort of a childlike way. Mm. Um, that kind of reminds me of Room by Emma Donahue. Yeah. Yeah, well, it is. There's there's some similarities there. Yeah. And I suppose the Donahue's going to get her due um, <laughs> later in this, in well, this just episode. just in terms of it being a creative way and from a child's perspective of something a lot of people don't have to experience that's horrible. Right. So, yeah. Right. And they add that times... I'm Times not- a child soldier's yeah, experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but yes, but no, it's a really good comparison. Um, and something that I think is particularly unique is he focuses on like sensory experience versus um, like actually describing what's going on. Like a lot of it is about like smell and taste and like texture, which I think is really cool because it mm. puts you in his, in, in our protagonist's perspective, in his place in the story, not like there's no sense of like, omniscient narrative even like sometimes you get a first person narrative who like you know a little more than you're letting on but truly you only know what this boy is seeing and that's cool that's interesting yeah it sounds like he really feels trapped in the moment he doesn't know the you know everything going on on around him and so he just recalls his own memories yes 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 um i have one more quick elf and then just a couple small little orklets orklet some goblins so this it's a very slim book um and it's only 142 pages and like 142 pages that are not super text dense. Mm. Um, and so it like let it kind of be a quick sort of pop of a book, which is really easy to get lost in. Uh, as you know, as we've already talked about, we've been reading a lot, but this one didn't even feel like a heavy lift to me. It was like I read it in an evening and then finished off the last like 50 pages in the morning. Easy peasy. Um, and that's really cool. But it does feed into my first major orc. Uh-oh. And so we're going to make our transition Major to Mordor. Orc. Major orc. It is. So here's the orc. I mean, it's so short that it does sometimes sacrifice depth a little bit. But more importantly, it makes huge narrative leaps to seemingly wrap things up. And this is especially true at the end. And I can't really can't and won't really go into why it's particularly egregious. But like it's it wraps itself up very quickly because it's quick and like trying to be quick. Like things just happen really quickly. Like big changes in like the direction of the story and to a certain extent that's fun but at the same point it's like you could have just not even added a bunch like added 40 pages which like gave a little more context for why things are going the way they're going and i would feel more satisfied with it interesting so yeah so the slimness of the volume is a both an elf and an orc in that way much like an urukai um (laughs) and uh this isn't really even a fair is my final point like it's not a fair or like even a huge orc or negative. It's just a bummer. Like it's rough. The content is rough. Even for what you're probably imagining a a narrative about a child soldier, there's more stuff in it that's even rougher than that. That like, I mean, is probably definitely part of the story. And I'm not trying to say like, it's in any way sensationalizing or adding to what's already a horrifying experience. Some things are described very graphically. Some things that I feel like you need a very strong stomach for. And some things that I feel like could have used a little more context about in terms of just like feeling sort of tossed onto an already kind of rough pile. Hmm. Yeah. So all that said, I went with four stars on this. Um, nice. I really did enjoy reading the book. I think that the the elves outweigh the orcs, but it's hard when there's a structural orc, like um, the book moves too fast to go all the way up to five. And I do think that this is this author's first 
piece of work and maybe even like I don't want to step on any facts like Freud was very young when he wrote it and it does feel like maybe a second novel would have added some uh, balance to it. Yeah, so I can step in and give you a little bit more info, Andrew, in case you wanted to react to this. This was his first... No. Oh, Bailey gets it again. I, I, I again vote <laughs> yes. Um, Dylan, what do you vote? More Ooh. context? Yeah, more context. Okay. Um, so this was his first book. It was his uh, senior thesis at Harvard. He wrote it when he was 21. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. this, so that, you know, this, well, this book is kind of you know, a polished version of that thesis, but most of it was there when he wrote it at the age of 21. So you're right. It was written, you know, both as a first project and as the product of a young writer. There you go. He'll probably expand on something like that in the future. Wow. Yeah. So do you have more facts on Iwala? Uh, yes, I do have some more facts. Um, Uzadinma Iwala um, is a Nigerian American author and get this, a medical doctor. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Anton Chekhov um, over here. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned this before, but uh, Beasts of No Nation, his debut novel, is a formation, they call it, you know, basically a retelling of his thesis work in creative writing at Harvard. Um, the book was published in 2005, and it was adapted as an award-winning film in 2015, which Bailey knows all about because she watched it. Yeah, uh, we know in- Toby. <laughs> I just remember wow. that as being like one of the first Netflix movies, but it's not the time for yeah. this. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, in 2012, he also released the nonfiction book, Our Kind of People, about the HIV AIDS epidemic in Nigeria. He also released a novel called Speak No Evil that was published in 2018, which highlights the life of a gay Nigerian-American boy named Niru. Interesting. Though. That's quite the gap between publications. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at least time. his novels. Maybe well, he went he to did. med school. Yeah, maybe he became a dumb doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, He is currently the CEO of the Africa Center in Harlem, New York City. Cool. He splits his time currently between Lagos, Nigeria and New York City. Uh, A little bit about his history, a very little bit, because there's not too much online. Um, He attended St. Albans School in Washington, D.C., where he grew up. And then, of course, he went to Harvard College. (laughs) (laughs) Heard of it, heard of it, yes. Uh, From which he graduated uh, magna cum laude in English and American literature and language in 2004. His roommate at Harvard was the future mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and the U.S. Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg. PDB. Um, Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Wow. Big big enthusiasm for old PD. Friend of the podcast, Pete Buttigieg. We know (laughs) that guy. (laughs) Um, while he was at Harvard, um, he earned the Hoops Prize and the Dorothy Hicks Lee Prize for Outstanding Undergraduate Thesis in 2004. He earned the Eager Prize for Best Undergraduate Short Story in 2003 and the Horman Prize for Excellence in Creative Writing 2003. So he was killing it way before anyone even knew what he was doing. I hope that there's like more than just those prizes available because otherwise he just swept it and it would be rough for <laughs> all the like, other probably incredibly talented writers. <laughs> I swept all the film prizes. Okay, well, so Bailey did at, at Bailey's Ivy League school. She got all the film prizes. I got one prize for drama at my college, and that was enough for me. I had perfect attendance at my biology class at Chico State. So, you know, um, he would later graduate from Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons in 2011, and became a fellow at the Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study at Harvard University. That is rad. That is rad. Uh, um, he also has an Instagram, which I flicked through, and it features many photos of his cat Beckett so friend of the podcast indeed wait Mm -hmm. wait 
Tell me a little bit more about Beckett. What kind of what color cat is it? How cute. Uh, he is a tabby, like a, a normal colored tabby. He's received many cat awards. Um, so this is um, an interview from Ventures.com. The interviewer is Hadassa Egbedi. She asks, did you ever think your novel, which you wrote as a thesis while in school, would become a movie someday? He says, no, I didn't. Bees of No Nation, the novel was published almost exactly 10 years ago, 2005. And for context, this uh, interview came out around the time when the movie was about to be released. It was developed for my senior thesis at Harvard University. I said before when I was writing it, there are a couple of things. The story, issue of child soldiers on the continent of Africa was what I really wanted to understand a lot better. And from what I was reading around, there were a lot of newspaper articles and human rights reports, but there weren't so many books that really got into the emotionality of the subject matter. There are some really wonderful books like A la Neste Pas Oblige, written by Amadou Kuroma or Johnny Mad Dog. There's a whole genre of literature that deals with some of the conflict on the continent and the involvement of children. But I wanted to see if I could write in that space. And that was how Beasts of No Nation came about. The initial story I wrote when I was 14 or 15 after reading an article in The Washington Post. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I read this article on child soldiers early on, and I guess I was really confused that somebody my age was involved in something that was just so worlds away from what I knew and so devastating. I wanted to try and understand that a little bit more, so I got a pen and paper, which is how I processed the world, and started writing the story. And I think later in life, when I had the chance in college to understand a little bit more about conflict on the continent of Africa and how we dealt with it as a society, and I got more exposure to different forms of literature around conflict in the continent, that prompted me to try and make this into a much longer, more exploratory, and more detailed work about child soldiers. Mm. Um, And here is a little last little stinger um, from an interview with Slate in 2015 also around the you know the release of the Beasts of No Nation movie. The interviewer here is Aisha Harris. We'll see if Andrew takes away what the author wished he would take away from the story. Pressure's on. Yep. Pressure's on. She asks, what do you hope that audiences take away from Agu's story? He says, pay attention, Andrew. There are two things, whether in the book or the film. One was, when you would read these newspaper articles, there are people who have done studies on how newspapers interpret the continent of Africa and the coded language that's used. In the same way that people write or speak about black people in the United States, there's a whole lexicon, right? For me, it was like, you need to get beyond that. And the second thing was, you also can't ignore that there are problems on the continent. So how do you bring those two things together? You need to look at how you humanize people within these difficult situations in which they're living. Everybody thinks they are so far away from something like this, and you're just not. Yeah, I got exactly you that. Good job, me. Good, good. good. Yeah, good job. Um, I, I read that before, and I was uh, I kind of forgot what it said, and then I hyped you up for an answer, and there's no real answer to that question. That's a really yeah, complicated I was answer. Say. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Thank you, Toby. Uh, that's my research on Uzadinma Iwela um, and his wonderful book. Awesome. Well, great facts, Toby. Thank and you. That, and that's Beasts of No Nation by Uzadinma Iwala. Four stars. Four stars. One, two, three, four. Three, four. Does anyone have any questions for me? Um, Bailey, I've been wondering <laughs> what you've been getting up to and if you read a book for this podcast. I did. Do you guys want to hear about it? No. <laughs> I vote yes. Ooh, it's up to me again. Dylan? I guess yes. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, few, few, few. Um, and my understanding is you two read this book as well. I read The Wonder by Emma Donahue. <gasps> hunger, hunger, hunger. <laughs> 
<laughs> Catholic faith, um, Catholic faith. Yes. This book was also a long-standing member of my to-read list, so I decided to take the opportunity to read along so that I could knock another one off my list. And um, I think it's a good episode when multiple people read a book, so I read it as well because I read Room and I thought it was good. Awesome. Well, I believe because I did a little cheeky check on Goodreads that we all had different ratings. So this should be I saw interesting. That. I saw that. Well, I didn't use a star system, which does throw it off. Yeah. He gave it three dogs. <laughs> he gave it seven feelings. Oh. <laughs> okay. For those of you who don't know about this book, um, and it is a new Netflix movie out now on Netflix, along with Beast of the Nation, you could have a two read list double feature. Um, oh, wow. The story follows a young English nurse. Her name is Lib Wright, and she is tasked with a mysterious new job, and she travels all the way to the mid part of Ireland, um, which is known for its bogs and um, turf and sort of like dreariness, I would say. Mm-hmm. From the English perspective. From the English perspective. And she's brought into this small town and introduced to her new patient, Anna O'Donnell, who is 11 years old and claims to have not eaten for the past four months. And Mm -hmm. the locals, including um, members of the clergy and her doctor, would like to prove that this is the case in order to prove that there's a miracle going on in their town. And uh, in order to do that, um, Lib um, switches shifts with a nun named Sister Michael. They go eight hours on, eight hours off, and watch Anna at all times to figure out what's happening. Bailey, could you, I, I I never settled down. Did they ever say exactly what year it is? Like they say it's right after the potato famine ended, but I'm not a history buff, so I couldn't narrow it down. 1899? I think it's a little earlier than that because it said the potato famine was in the mid 1800s and it was within living memory of the children characters. She just got back from the Crimean War, so that just tells you exactly what year it is, right, guys? Oh, God, I have a phone that can tell us when the Crimean War was. Because we all no, know when that no. was. But that does bring up good transition, Toby. Well, Andrew okay. looks up the year. That a lot of what's going on in the background, the context, the themes, has to do with this horrible potato famine that happened and just killed many, many people of starvation um, in Ireland. Um, And so that leads into this girl who is starving herself and what, you know, the people, how they're responding to it and what it could mean. Did you find the year? And also how they feel about uh, Lib, right? Because they're basically like Lib dislikes all of the Irish people and all the Irish people dislike her immediately. So the... um Florence Nightingale went to the Crimean War in 1854. So I, I think we're looking at like early 1860s. 1860s. Yeah. And Florence Nightingale was Lib's mentor. She taught her how to be a nurse and she learned in the Crimean War. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing to know is that Lib is a widow and she lost her husband after not even barely a year of being married. So that's part of the context as well. Um, okay, so that is the plot. Is there anything else you guys want to mention that I forgot to mention? Um, there might be a mysterious male stranger as well. Oh, well, yeah. Mm. There's got to be sort of a romantic interest, perhaps. Perhaps, but he's uh, maybe got other motives. Maybe. Hard to say. Maybe he's Irish. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe a journalist. I don't know. Um, We're being very coy. Look, (laughs) someone here in this room is Irish. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to figure it out. So, all right, I will give my elves. I just really love Emma Donahue's writing. And as I mentioned before, we mentioned the book Room. Room is 
probably my favorite book, if not, you know, my top two books. And I just find her writing to have such amazing atmosphere, perspective, and um, tension. And I found all of those things in this book, although it's so different from Room. Like I didn't, couldn't necessarily tell that it was the same author, but I loved both. Mm. I found that the pages went by quickly and I would look down and be like, oh, I've already read 50 pages. Although it seems like not a lot happens in the beginning. It's kind of putting you into this atmosphere of this creepy, gothic Irish place that's so specific Um, and it feels like there's something supernatural going on but even if there isn't there's something weird in this town Um, and with these people who have these strict rules and are so focused on their Catholicism above all else. I really liked Lib as a character. I felt for her. I thought that Anna was excellent in that my opinions about her changed at the same time that Libs did, where at first I'm like, I don't trust her. And then I grew to have deeper feelings for her. But I think the structure is really strong. I think once you get to the last section, the last act, the pages just go fast, 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 and it gets very tense. Um, and I thought it was a really well-structured mystery where it, it pays off in a way I found very satisfying. Um, and not necessarily how I expected. I'll jump in and say I really loved the fact that Lib pretty much like sets herself up in the first couple pages as a detective. You know, she's not saying I'm a detective, but she's going to take notes. She's literally is, you know, promising to the reader, I'm going to solve this mystery. And that does give the early chapters a, like a propulsion and a sense of it's weird to say a sense of fun, but it really is kind of fun, you know, because, you know, you're this promise of solving the mystery. So I, I, I didn't expect that either. And I liked it a lot. Because she is sure that Anna is somehow sneaking food in and she's going to figure out how. Um, And I appreciated that because that's exactly how I would have been in that situation. I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. Um, But then the ending doesn't necessarily go the way you think. But yeah, specifically the second half of the book really does hit that sort of sweet spot of like, you need to keep going. It's like not pleasurably frustrating because that's not quite the right way but it's like frustrating and you got to kind of figure out what's going on um in any sort of like mystery slash sort of like thriller kind of uh book so i really like the second half in particular i'd be curious to hear what your orcs are though yeah me too well okay Here's the, the thing, guys. I don't think I have any orcs. Whoa! Oh, whoa! I, I was thinking about someone this. threw the ring into Mount Doom and got rid of all the orcs. Spoiler <laughs> alert! Like I ended up deciding on giving this one five stars because I just thought there's nothing bad I can say about this book. I think it's perfectly structured. I love the atmosphere, the tone, the characters. I don't know if it's going to be like a favorite book of all time, but there's nothing bad I can say about it. So I gave it five. However, mm. I saw that Toby gave it three <gasps> and Andrew gave it four. Ooh. Spoilers. So do you guys tell me your orcs? What did you think? Yeah, I, I saw that too. I think we should work down. So I think Andrew should give his orcs and then I'll give my final orcs. It's pretty simple, which is just kind of that. The first half of the book was really slow for me, which mm-hmm. I know Bailey described as sort of liking as you ease into the mystery, but it was just maybe 50 pages too much of the sort of slow part of the book. Um, and so I had some a hard time sort of getting into that point, and it did feel like I was kind of paying my dues before I got to the exciting part. One particular part of the resolution struck me as a little bit too coincidental, but I won't say what that is. Not enough to really detract from my, my rating. I didn't have a lot of negative thing about an overall 
Very positive reading experiences. Four stars for me. Nice. Yeah, I'll say I agree with Andrew a lot about the beginning. I found myself kind of having like enjoying it, but never. I had the opposite experience of you where it was like I kept thinking I had read more of it. And then I was like, oh, I've only read this much of it. Okay. And then um, I really enjoyed, you know, when it kind of clicks into gear. We've all mentioned, you know, in the second half, that moment was really exciting for me and the pages started to turn. But then... I found toward the end that the situation began to feel more and more manufactured, like some of the reasons why characters, quote unquote, can't do things or won't do things didn't really line up with what I thought was realistic. And then I think maybe I have the same feeling as Andrew, where the ending might feel a little bit too pat. Like the ending to me felt like it was out of a different book. Um, so, yeah, all those things together. I still enjoyed it. I still like would recommend it if you like Emma Donahue. Um, but yeah, for me, it was a three star. Wow. I couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I want to just say that, like, when you're saying that the way people were reacting and how it was getting, it didn't ring true to you. I just found myself right in, um, I want to say Florence Pugh. That's not her name. Lip right <laughs> shoes. Yeah where like she is, has a huge justice streak and she wants to set this right. She wants to, you know, say what she has to say and fix it in a way that she wants to fix it. And essentially, you know, this girl is starving. She wants to find a way to save her. Well, I agree with Lib. What I was going to say is I felt for her when everybody is telling her no for these more and more ridiculous reasons. Um, so I don't know if that, that's what you, you meant, Toby, but like I think I agree with you, but it's like what for me, it was like you say saying no for more and more ridiculous reasons. And they say no for like half the book. Right. And then in the mm -hmm. last quarter of the book, I was like, OK, these reasons are getting silly. Yeah, I, I will say I think the movie puts a little more context on it. The movie changes a little some things, um, mm. but makes it um, overall, it's a really uh, I would say faithful adaptation, except for the director just mm. can't stop himself from doing something weird. So it has a weird opening and ending, um, which I don't think add anything to the story. But besides that, if you're interested but don't want to read the book, I would suggest watching the movie because you'll get the, you know, the answer to the mystery. Ooh, nice. So, you know, I really liked it. And I'm going to read more Emma Donahue. I think she's one of my favorite authors, even though I've only read two of her books. I was going to ask if you'd read Slammerkin, which I hear, which I get gets recommended quite a bit. Both Slammerkin and Frog Music are on the to read list. Ooh. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. Bailey, I, I have to air, I have to clear the air. I can feel your frustration with me right now. <laughs> I know it. I no, the frustration is not with you, Toby. It's with the, that I can't talk about the specifics yeah. without spoiling yeah. it. That's true. You know what yeah. I mean? Uh, so all this to say, Toby, do you have any facts on Emma Donahue? Oh, you know I do. Oh, you Donna do. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, let's just end the podcast there. Um, yeah, it's been a good 102 <laughs> episodes. No notes. <laughs> Uh, Emma Donahue, uh, she was born in 1969 in October. She is Irish-Canadian, and she is a playwright, literary historian, novelist, and screenwriter. Hmm. Good job, Emma! She's written many books, uh, some of which Bailey has uh, referenced already. Her big hit was her 2010 novel Room, which was a finalist for the Booker Prize. Um, and Bailey's favorite book, maybe, maybe. I think it is. I'm going to say it is. 
1995 novel Hood won the Stonewall Book Award, and Slammerkin in 2000 won the Ferro Grumley Award for Lesbian Fiction. And Room was adapted by Donahue herself into a film of the same name, and for her work on that, she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay. And maybe she'll get it this year, because she adapted The Wonder, too, with some co-writers. Interesting. I wonder if she put in the controversial beginning and end part. I doubt it, because one of her co-writers was the director, so I'm going to guess it was There we go. That's all he did, was the beginning part and the end part. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have one idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I barely, I'll say, I didn't finish the movie, but me and my wife started it and the beginning started and I was like, did I put on the right movie? What's going on? Oh no, it's one of these. I thought it was, you know, when you're watching a movie and there are a million like animations for the production companies. Yeah. I thought it was a production company animation me and then too. just kept going and I was like, okay. <laughs> me too. Absolutely. That's so bad. Nice. So, Donahue was born in Dublin, Ireland in 1969. She is the youngest of eight children. Uh, her, her mother was Frances Nay Rutledge, and her father was Dennis Donahue, who was an academic and literary critic. Um, she has a first-class honors Bachelor of the Arts degree from University College Dublin in English and French, and a PhD in English from Girlton College, Cambridge. At Cambridge, she met her future wife, Christine Rolston, who was also a Canadian. They moved permanently to Canada in 1998, and Donahue became a Canadian citizen in 2004. She lives in London, Ontario, with Rolston and their two children. Donahue has spoken before of the importance of the writing of Emily Dickinson, of Jeanette Winterson's novel The Passion, and Alan Garner's Red Shift in the development of her own work. She says that she aims to be, quote, industrious and unpretentious about the process of writing, and that her working life has changed since having children. Okay. Isn't so. it for us all? <laughs> that <was> straightforward. <laughs> straightforward. Some people, I think, claim that their writing life doesn't change, and I think she uh, seems very down to earth. And those people are men. <laughs> those people are men who lock themselves away and say, <laughs> oh, I still expect everything to be done the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I have an interview here, a short, lovely interview with Elle Australia, um, and the interviewer is Laura Collins. The interviewer is Naomi Watts. Ella. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the Wonder was inspired. No. Uh, she asks, The Wonder was inspired by cases in Victorian era of, quote, fasting girls, usually pre-adolescents who claimed they could survive without food and, in some cases, had religious powers. Dunahue answers, Ooh. That's right. I came across one of the fasting girls cases at least 20 years ago. It was one of those little historical nuggets which struck me as fascinating. Some were obvious chancers who got found out. One was sent off to hospital and found sneaking buns in her pillow. But there were some really tragic cases where, when put under surveillance, they'd start pining away and sometimes die. A couple of years ago, it occurred to me that I could do a fictional version, and, given that I had a choice of where to set it, I thought it's got to be Ireland. I've been gone a long time, since I was 20, but I never lost my connection, and it has such a fraught history with hunger. So there is a contrast between the voluntary not eating of a fasting girl and the involuntary not eating of a whole people being starved during a famine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Often I've drawn on the work of other people, like some historian, and then gone and read a collection of essays about the era. I think what I'm really good at is glimpsing the fiction, in particular the little cases that historians are never really going to be able to explain. I also had strong memories of the little statuettes of my childhood. I had a little hollow statuette of, I think, St. Teresa. And during Lent, when I would give up sweets, if anyone offered me even one square of chocolate, I would take it home and store it inside the statue. And the interviewer responds, did your Irish heritage make researching the book easier? 
Donahue answers, it helped me get dialogue right, because that's something that's very difficult to research. If I were suddenly setting a novel in Jamaica, I couldn't just turn on the patois. In terms of the cultural details, I had to do a lot of research. Having grown up in Ireland in the 70s, even the version of Catholicism that I grew up with was a very different, much milder than the hardcore rules of the 19th century. Yeah, oh, the dialogue is really cool in this book. It, like, yeah. You can tell the difference between Lib and any of the Irish characters immediately, Yeah, which is absolutely fun. Yeah. Um, the last question here is, another thing which you seem to have nailed is your ability to make small space interesting. It's something you did incredibly well in Room. <laughs> Donahue answers, ha! <laughs> well. <laughs> no, that's it. Ha! Uh, she says, well, when you say it like that, the wonder sounds remarkably like Room, which didn't occur to me at the time. I suppose, yes, I like a very small canvas. It might seem as if it's easier to write something set in a big, interesting, varied world. But actually, if you're setting a novel in New York City, for instance, in a way, you're tormented by choice. Likewise, if you're writing about a character that's 100 years old, they have so many memories. Anna has seen a few rivers, a few towns, but that's it. So it's easier to have a strong sense of her. Maybe I'm just a little unambitious as a writer, but I like to take on these narrow, confined settings because I find it's a great way to build up tension. It's a bit like a closed room murder mystery in that everyone's wondering, what's the secret in the house? How is she managing to stay alive? And that is Emma Donahue in brief, because I know we're going to cover her again. Good call. I love it. That's great. I also did not make the connection that it essentially takes place in one room. Well, she she does go to one other room. (laughs) They go for walks sometimes. There's a lot of rooms and a lot of books, okay? So that is The Wonder by Emma Donahue. Five stars, because my opinion is the one that matters. Mm, Well, I think since you guys did five and three and I did four, four stars is the one that matters. Five stars. All right, five stars. (laughs) Um, And Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. Are you ready to play a simple word game? Simple word game. Simple word game. So the name of the game this week is Give Thanks for Beasts. Okay. Okay. So here's how the game is going to work. I know that Thanksgiving will have passed by the time this episode has been released, but not by too much. It won't even have been a full week. So you might even still have some Thanksgiving leftovers in your house. Mm. So the way the game is going to work is I have in my hand a category die. It's a 20-sided die that has the 20 most common letters in the alphabet. And so I will roll it and it will give me a random letter. Um, I will tell you this letter. Okay. Um, Thank you. And you will be tasked with saying the first animal you can think of that starts with that letter. Oh, no. So that's what you will be doing as a task. But there's more to it than this because there's a goal here. Okay. You, Toby, and you, Bailey, are trying to create your ideal Thanksgiving leftover sandwich. Every time you get an answer correct or you win the round, you can pick an ingredient on your sandwich. Bread is a given as well as any sort of basic condiments. You don't have to say like mayonnaise or mustard, you nasty freaks. Um, (laughs) Actually, I like both of those things, but just not on my turkey sandwiches. Not on my Thanksgiving sandwiches. So we're going to do 10 sort of lightning rounds of this. It's Mm -hmm. like the game Slamwich. It's like Slamwich, but... But different. But also, Toby's a weird vegetarian, so he has an advantage because he doesn't need the turkey. Well, we'll see what he makes. Wait, did you I'm just say I have an advantage because I'm vegetarian? Yeah, because you don't need turkey. So I'm limited, in fact. 
How dare yeah, you? It actually does limit his choices. So here's the winner is who I deem at the end has created the best <laughs> sandwich. What if it's Got just it. cranberry sauce? Well, that would be a weird round. We'll have to see how I judge that. All right. Are you guys ready? Yes. I'm, ready. I'm rolling the die and I'm hiding it from Bailey, even though she's in the same room. I'm not looking. Once I say the letter that is up, remember to say the animal or beast that comes to your head first. All right. Rolled. S. Snake. Snake. Oh, both snake. That's fun. Uh, but Bailey did get the win there. Got it. What are you starting with? Turkey. <laughs> Boo. Boo. Does that mean that he can't have turkey because I took it? Um, no, he can still have turkey. But as you said, he is a vegetarian, so I don't know that he's going to pick it. Okay. Um, just checking. But yes, you can, you can pick the same things if you want. All right. Round two. Um, Die took a real journey. W. Whale. Wendigo. Wendigo is a mythical creature. Um, still an animal. So Bailey wins. Okay. Another ingredient. Stuffing. Okay, so we got a turkey and stuffing base here. This is pretty good. All right, round three. F. Um, freaky bat. Frog. Okay. <laughs> I really wanted to give you that, Toby, but freaky bat is... <laughs> there is also a fruit bat, which is an F bat. Which is... Yeah, but I don't like fruit bats. I like freaky bat. <laughs> Bailey, take another ingredient. Cranberry sauce. All right. Okay, here we go. D. Bingo. There you go, Dingo. And bingo for Toby. What would you like? Okay, I'm so glad I can do my first ingredient, which is going to be edible gold foil. <laughs> Wait, what? Do you often have a lot of that left over? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't know what Thanksgiving's like at my house. I'm a billionaire. Anyway, so, you know, I like to wrap the whole, uh, both, both pieces of bread in edible gold foil. Continue, please. <laughs> You're not so far behind that you have to throw away your <laughs> game yet. This is All what right. I make my... I have one of these in the fridge right now. All right. Such a liar. A. Aardvark. Ooh, both went Aardvark. I think even with the delay, Bailey got there first. All right. Mm, what do I put in sandwiches? Piece of cheddar. Okay. Cheddar. I like cheese. All right. Please, Toby. Tea. Turkey. Oh, 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 and are you going to use turkey for your answer? No, I'm going to use my Fieldman's Holiday Roast, which is the meatless <laughs> holiday thing that I cooked up for Thanksgiving for ourselves. You get it frozen in the in the grocery store. That's Fieldman's A Holiday Roast. meatless holiday roast. That sounds disgusting. Hey, it's let's respect delicious. people's edits. So, so you picked a real answer here, and then you still come with edible gold foil for your other thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, okay. All right. This one's tough. I. Is in... Iguana. Oh. Toby, you're. it's only three to four right now. You're pretty close. All what right. are you adding to your meatless holiday roast on gold bread? <laughs> <laughs> I got to go with something weird again. You know, I got to keep the streak alive. I'm going to go with cranberry sauce. <laughs> So, so far, a normal sandwich, but is that is gold. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a normal sandwich to me. Ask anybody. <laughs> okay. Only um, three more here. C. Cat. Cat. I think Toby's going to have won that based on the delay. Excellent. Uh, so, Toby, you have won. All right. I'm going to say some massaged kale with a little bit of salt and olive oil on it. Hey, that's great. Massage kale with olive oil and salt is good, and it's a basic staple. I of... don't like massaging. Okay, well, it should be a staple of your diet. It's very healthy and very easy. Um, all right, two more. You guys hopefully will each get one more ingredient, or maybe someone can really top off their sandwich here. B. B. All right, Bailey, what are you topping off this sandwich with? Your turkey stuffing cheddar and cranberry sauce sandwich. A piece of romaine lettuce. What? 
That's what I want. I guess you guys aren't really (laughs) making the sandwiches like really full of Thanksgiving things. This is my dream sandwich. Okay. All right. Last one, guys. Let's make it. Let's really make it count. Let's make it pop. H. Ham. Ham is not an animal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Horny toad. Yep, that is a real one this time. Instead of just putting an adjective in front of a lizard. Freaky bat. (laughs) Freaky bat. And Toby, you get a chance to actually be five to five here. Okay. And uh, complete your sandwich, which for the record for our listeners is edible gold foil over the bread, (laughs) uh, meatless holiday roast, cranberry sauce, and massage kale. So sort of normal, except really not at all. Um, okay, um, I, I'm feeling a lot of judgment from the massy side of this podcast about my sandwich, but I'm just going to forge ahead, um, and I'm going to say my special ingredient is just a little bit, just a spread of garlic mashed potatoes. See, that's cool. That's good. Okay, so now I have to judge. I'm going to confer with myself. Look <laughs> into your heart, and which one would you actually Okay, so what, let's just, I'm going to talk this through for the sake of our listeners. Bailey has picked a very standard Thanksgiving sandwich, though added cheddar and romaine lettuce to make it more like a normal Ugh. everyday sandwich. Ugh. So really, it's a turkey sandwich that she's added stuffing and cranberry sauce to. Rude. Well, no, it's true. <laughs> uh, Toby, aside from his interesting choice of leading with wrapping gold foil around his wheat bread uh, has made something that I feel like honors the holiday more. And you know what? What is holiday? No. Without a little bit of glamour. No. So yes. I'm going with Toby as the winner here. Yes. With that gold foil. Honestly, Bailey, it's because you went with cheddar and romaine lettuce, which I found boring. <laughs> just imagine you you open the fridge and this just like, you know, like when Indiana Jones is staring at the at the statuette. You're just rubbing your hands and like the gold is reflected on your face. It's great. Ah. The, the crazy thing is when you pull the sandwich out, the fridge just falls on you. <laughs> so you got exactly. it. Um, thank you for that game, Andrew. I think if you look into your heart, you know my sandwich is better, but that's fine. Nope. Thank you, Andrew, for that game. That was a fantastic game. <laughs> well, now's the time where Dylan gets his chance to make a sandwich. It is time for Dylan to choose books at random from our shelf to read next. It is time for The Choosening. The Choosening. I'm excited, Dylan, because of our special... Uh, 100th episode it's been like six weeks since i've had a new book assigned this is very Mm. fun and you know it's not exciting for me because i delayed the book that was chosen last time um to this week so i already know that my book is the kite runner so you would argue that yours is like a boring sandwich and mine is like a sandwich covered in gold (laughs) i was gonna say dread from it but there's no running from the kite runner from by Khaled (laughs) hosani bailey's reading the kite runner if you need nice that's exciting it's a great book i'm I'm very curious to hear what uh what bailey thinks I read it a long time ago, so I barely remember it. Bailey, yeah. you're really going to have to describe it to me. I bet a lot of pages are going to be exactly in your position, Toby, having <laughs> read it 15 years ago almost. Yeah. yeah. And Andrew, I know that you think that the choosing is completely random and that it's not controlled by a shadowy organization of groups of people, but you got number 52, okay. Oligarchy by Scarlett Thomas. Oh, mm-hmm. cool. This is a newer book, right? It, uh, it's somewhat new. I, it, I bought it. When it right after it came out, but it has actually been on the to read list for quite a while. Oh, um, it's a book that I am not shy to admit I bought because it has an lo- interesting looking cover. Mm-hmm. Oh. So that means next time on the podcast, I will be reading The Kite Runner by Khaled Hosseini, and Toby is reading. I'm reading The Amulet of Samarkand by Jonathan Stroud, which I discovered after it was picked is a children's book. So, surprise! <laughs> I'm looking at the cover right now, and it does look like that. It looks like Gollum. Yeah. You're looking, it's like a little goblin holding, like, an amulet, like, smirking at you. It looks fun. Well, well hopefully it won't be full of orcs and goblins in a negative mm-hmm. way. Ooh. <laughs> 
If you yourself are a miracle worker and you are trying to prove to the world that you are a miraculous person, one thing you can do to prove that is go to Apple Podcasts or any other podcatcher and rate us five stars. Um, it really helps uh, visibility of the podcast. And if you really feel like it, you can write a review, which really you know lifts our hearts. Bailey shared one recently, and honestly, speaking seriously, they really brighten my day when you know I see them. So write us one. We love yeah. it. Toby's really starved for attention. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Uh, also, if you want to help us out again, word of mouth is the best way for us to find new people. So tell your family, tell your friends, tell one of the two women who watches you at all times to see if you are a charlatan or indeed a saint um, about our podcast. And maybe it'll help pass the time as they have to watch you every hour of every day. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books. books.